Okay, welcome to another episode of 30 Minutes with DailyStraits.com. This is your host, June Ramley. Today, we have a very special guest with us, Canadian authors Christy Shen and Bryce Leung of the book Quick Like a Millionaire, which I have here with me right now. I hope you can see it. Uh, published in 2019, in my opinion, Christy and Bryce's maiden book has taught many people, including myself, on how you can ditch the rat race and retire early all by investing your earnings in what is known as ETFs or exchange-traded funds. Christy and Bryce both made headlines for doing just that, quitting their engineering jobs at 31 only to travel the world as millionaires and also to reject home ownership. They are big advocates of the financial independence retire early fire movement. I can go on and on about this couple, but I guess to explain things better, let's invite both of them to the show. Hi, Christy and Bryce. Thank you for joining us today. Hello. Hi. Thank you so much. So, all right, let's dive right into the question. So I'll start with Christy first. So how has your, uh, both of your retirement journey been so far uh, since the pandemic? Yeah, it's, it's quite interesting because uh, we were basically nomadic for six years before the pandemic hit. And when uh, things started shutting down, we were actually in Bala, Bali, Indonesia, about to fly to Australia. We were <laughs> so where, where, where you were. We had, a, <laughs> we we had, had everything. To Perth, yeah. It was like and everything shut down. Like, yeah, yeah. Damn it. <laughs> we were so close. <laughs> Only two and a half hours from where uh, from where you are. But um, yeah, so unfortunately, because of the pandemic and also because of a family emergency, we had to um, go back to Canada. Uh, and then everything just shut off. Like we had all, all these st- uh, speaking engagements, like a Google talk, uh, like a conference, all of the, like our schedule was completely full. And then all of a sudden, at like the snap of a finger, our, our schedule went completely blank. And then we were just like dealing with family emergency one after another. Um, so it's been a, a challenging two years. It's been um, and as it, you know, as it was for everybody around the world and uh, nobody was really expecting it to be at this, like this scale. Um, so what happened when we went back to Toronto was that um, the one small bright side of the pandemic was that we were able to reconnect with a lot of family and friends, uh, not in person, obviously on, on Zoom calls, but like because of that, then we actually had um, kind of like pandemic was a, a great, re- a big reset, which caused you to kind of reanalyze everything and kind of like reset your priorities. And for a lot of people, like do some meditation and and figure out what it is that you want to do with your life. And um, for us, I thought that the everything would be very expensive going back to Toronto, especially coming from Southeast Asia prices, as you know, like Malaysia and uh, um, Thailand and all those places. Uh, it was like it wasn't actually as bad as I thought it would be because I was like, oh god, now I have to pay like three times as much for everything back in Canada. Um, so because of the pandemic, um, the Airbnb prices and rental prices in Toronto actually plummeted. So uh, we were actually like able to find like once in a lifetime deals uh, for rent that was like half the price of what it was before. Um, so when we first got back, we were staying in like this really nice two bedroom condo, which was normally like $300 Canadian a night. And it was like $59. <laughs> it was like unbelievable. Yeah. So um, fr- financially, it didn't really impact us that much. Like obviously with the stock market volatility, um, like our, stock, our, our uh, net worth, um, uh, went up and down a lot in March of 2020. Uh, but then it came back up and uh, it didn't really affect us because uh, all the dividends that we had and the interest, like it, we didn't really think about it financially very much at all. So the pandemic was really a big reset in 
basically clearing our entire schedule and refocusing our energy um, instead of um, you know on talks and on uh, traveling. It was refocusing it on family and and really trying to help our parents and take care of them. And now borders are opened up again, so now we're back on the road. We're speaking to you from uh, Croatia right now, actually, and uh, we'll be heading to Slovenia soon. Awesome. Okay, so Bryce, so Christy said that your investments didn't dip, so did it go up? Because some uh, fire people reported that during the pandemic, they actually saw a big uh, hike in their in investment. Somehow, you know, things worked out for them. What was your... Yeah, I mean, like there was the, the there was a brief period of a very short, sharp drop in uh, in uh, March twenty twenty or so. Um, but what we actually did, so unlike uh, unlike some other fire bloggers who kind of look at the overall value of the portfolio and then they use that to figure out how much they want to spend, um, we're a little bit more conservative in that we base up our spending off of the dividends. So, uh, so what we call the yield shield of the portfolio, or how much the money it. Um, throws off as a combination of dividends and interest. And what actually ended up happening is that because the stock market <clears throat> is dominated mostly by um, big corporations, big international corporations that uh, weren't, the, the, their operations weren't actually affected that badly by the pandemic. The pandemic really, really, really hurt restaurants and mm. um, places like small mom and pop shops, um, like. Airlines, stuff, airlines, and like that Travel. kind of, and that yeah. kind of stuff. But in terms of the biggest um, companies out in the in the, for example, the S and P five hundred, a lot of banks, a lot of financial stocks, a lot of tech companies. None of those actually were affected all that badly. And as a result, the dividends didn't actually get cut. And as a result, even though there was um, even though there was a lot of stock market volatility during that time, um, the actual income that our portfolio was producing didn't actually change all that much. Well, meanwhile. As Christy alluded to earlier, our cost of living plummeted, right? Our normal spending level is about $40,000 Canadian a year. And during that first year of the pandemic, because everything was bloody shut down, so we couldn't spend it on anything. Forced austerity. It was forced austerity. Yeah. Um, we couldn't go anywhere. We couldn't travel. We were just sitting inside and watching Netflix all day. Our actual spending went down to 34000 About 34000 So our, yeah. our spending deflated more than uh, our dividends didn't get cut. And yet our spending deflated, so we actually ended up booking a surplus that year. And then, of course, in 2021, when everyone started getting vaccinated, economy um, opened back up again. Stock market started rising. Um, uh, inflation started to pick back up again, but not, but still not back to our forty thousand level. Like I think we went from like 2020, we spent thirty four thousand. 2021, we spent maybe thirty six, thirty seven. What do you think? Uh, yeah, around there. Mm -hmm. Right. So yeah. So I mean, uh, so. From a financial perspective, the fire people, it worked out brilliantly for them because the whole point of financial independence is you don't depend on your job to make money, right? And, and traditionally, food services is one of the easy, uh, it's supposed to be one of the most recession-proof uh, sectors that there are because everyone needs to eat, right? That's what people think. But they were the ones that got hit the hardest this time. So people, who, it just kind of showed them if you depend on your job, you don't know what factors out there in the world are going to come and possibly get and, and possibly take your job away. But if you don't depend on your job and you can live off your portfolio, there's really not a whole lot that can really derail you. And that's what happened. And that's what actually ended up happening during the pandemic. Awesome. Okay. So Christine, so um, the both of you, uh, I was just wondering, so now with the pandemic, right? So remote work is becoming a very popular 
So I was just wondering, the both of you, would you ever reconsider that kind of job? Go back to working and uh, but take remote positions so that you can still move around, you know? Yeah, it's actually very interesting that you mentioned that because when we first started traveling, people thought digital nomads were weirdos, right? They were like, digital nomads like obviously these are like fringes of society like who can actually do that nobody has a job that can do that and like you know like that kind of lifestyle just it's too it's too weird i don't i don't want to be any part of that um but as a result of the pandemic and now with the great um resignation what's happened was that people got a taste of what it's like to actually be a location independent and to actually work remotely and many of them actually really enjoy that lifestyle so now more and more people are trying to make their work more flexible and more remote. So I think going forward, um, digital nomadicism is actually becoming more and more mainstream. And um, even if people don't move to Southeast Asia and travel um, around the world, they can at least move away from the more expensive big cities and then move into inexpensive smaller cities in their uh, within their own country. And then um, basically bank the gap between like how much they earn in a big city versus how little they spend in a, in a smaller town. Um, in terms of whether we will be doing any kind of uh, remote work, like, I mean, I, I kind of, it's are, right? I mean, if it's, inter I mean, we're already like writing blog, it's already kind of like freelance things that we want to do. Yeah. It's all about choice. It's like, I won't do something just for money. I have been offered quite a few um, kind of roles where it's like, would you like to make a podcast? We can split the income. Like, would you like to like write a sponsored post about uh, my, this bank? And then we'll like, you know, pay you this much to like shill for our ETFs that, you know, they're, they're not really great. I don't quite agree with it. So like, would you like to promote Bitcoin on your blog? Like all sorts, I've been offered all sorts of, uh, and some of them quite highly paid, but at, like I, at this point in my life, my value is not about earning money is really about in like my priorities are more about like relationships and like doing what I love. So it, it really is about choice and I'm not going to say yes to any job just because of the money so it has to be something that i'm really passionate about awesome great answer so okay so bryce so um this book is really good it reads Aww, very very like a novel you know i really like it enjoyed it so i was just wondering are you planning to update your book to include a new chapter on how to approach fire during pandemic because this is like an unprecedented time so i was just wondering oh in terms of updating the book i mean like uh in the book, we, we refer to, so we talk about how the um, portfolio and how all your investments kind of operate in a, um, in a time of crisis. So back then, we were talking about 2008, we were talking about the oil, like the oil embargo that Saudi Arabia was, was pulling. And then, um, and then there was like the whole mess of the Trump years and like what, what, what they were going to do with healthcare in the U.S. Each time, the, the advice is basically the same, which is if you're still accumulating uh, so you're still working and working your way towards your fire portfolio or towards financial independence. Keep putting money into it and so that you buy the dips, right? So we have readers who um, saw that opportunity in March 2020 when all the stock markets went down really, really sharply. They poured a lot of money into the stock markets and then they were able to participate in that bounce back up really, really, uh, really strongly. And that's the right thing to do. Um, and that was the right thing to do. And so that advice hasn't changed. In terms of like updating it, uh, in terms of talking about current events, we've heard that on the blog because okay. when you write a book, <laughs> from actually writing it down onto the page, and you actually being able to a reader actually being able to read it, takes about two years. Yeah, there's a lot of editing involved. There's a, there's a ton <laughs> yeah. of editing, and there's a ton of like like 
the like contract negotiations and that kind of stuff. So a book isn't a great way to like talk about current events. A blog, I can just write a post and then it's up on the uh, it's up on the thing. So I, I like to think of the advice set in the book as kind of classic that doesn't change. Mm -hmm. And, mm -hmm. um, and then I try to, and then anything that I update and I adapt to uh, current situations I write about and I tell people what I'm doing on the blog because that's just a much faster way of actually getting our content out. Awesome, okay. So uh, Christy, what would you say to someone who's fearful of investing? Yeah, I would say I hear you and I understand where you're coming from because I have been there before, especially coming from like the background of scarcity. Like a lot of that comes from scarcity mindset. Um, so if you grew up in poverty, uh, you're not you're going to look at money as something that is very precious and it's very hard to put it into the stock market, especially with that mentality of like, I have to hoard, I have to hoard every penny that I ever make because there are I may never see another penny again. Um, so I understand where that is coming from. And the thing is, I, I like to think of it. Um, you have to kind of change how you think about money in order to be able to invest uh, from another angle. You can think about it as if you don't invest, you're actually losing a lot of money to inflation. And people don't think about that. Like, I'm just going to put my money in a savings account. It's going to be super safe. It's like, yeah, but you're earning like less than 2%. And inflation is running up to like 5 or 6%, even 7%. So you're actually losing money by putting it into um, a savings account versus if you're investing it, you're actually getting... Um, like you're actually investing in the companies that are um, making money from selling products. And as a result, you're actually benefiting from the inflation because you're actually getting the returns in terms of dividends and in terms of capital gains. So that's another way of thinking about it. Like instead of thinking I'm gonna lose money by investing, like what are you losing by not investing? And I also think that um, it's perfectly okay for people to take baby steps towards investing. Like I'm not saying like just put everything you've ever owned in there and then shut the heck up and just stop being a baby. Like I can't quite teach investing in that way. It's like sometimes you have to wade into the waters carefully. And that's why um, we have the completely free investment workshop on our site so that you can try it out maybe with like a small amount of money at the beginning just so that you feel comfortable and you understand what's going on and then if you feel like you actually um, understand it and you're feeling comfortable then then you can invest more uh, so I, I I would definitely not um, berate anyone for being afraid to invest because I, I was absolutely there before especially if you come from a poverty background but just think about what you're missing out on if you don't invest in terms of losing your money to inflation Awesome, great. Okay, Bryce. So actually, I think I heard somewhere where Christy was actually saying that she might buy a house after all. So in the last two years, right, with the pandemic and everything, did you ever cross your mind to change that stance that you have about home, home ownership? Like, you know, finally relent to it and actually buy a house? Uh, no, I mean, like, when we, we, uh, in the first year of the pandemic, um, so what was happening, we were trapped in Toronto, and normally we don't, like... Uh, Owning a home means we can't travel because you have to always cut, you know, constantly keep watch over your house. So that was the reason why we didn't want to do that. When we were in Toronto, um, there was a brief period of time, like, you know, like an eight to 10, 12 month period in which um, people were fleeing the downtown, the, the historically expensive downtown center, because back then people were like, they were afraid of um, apartment buildings. They were afraid of condo buildings. They were afraid that people would, you know, like, they would catch COVID by going into the elevator and stuff like that. So people were leaving uh, the down, the the expensive downtown corner and fleeing out to the suburbs and trying to find like farmhouses in the middle of nowhere. So so condo prices inside the city started to come down. And I think I wrote at some point, eh, maybe if it comes down enough, we might consider it. But then I realized that once the pandemic that when the pandemic is going to be over, 
we are not going to want to stay in one, we're not just going to want to stay in one place, right? I mean, like, we had been traveling before the pandemic for six years before that. And the time that we spent in, in Toronto trapped uh, because of all the lockdowns was the longest period of time that we had ever spent in one city since then. And we hated it. Like, it, it sucked, right? I mean, it wasn't just it wasn't just being in one city. It was also being trapped inside your apartment because everything was shut down and, and everyone was afraid of like going outside. And we both knew at that point that um, staying in one place was just not meant for us. And the moment that we could do it safely, we would start traveling again. And we also realized that buying a home, and even if we were to do something like, oh, rent it out while we're gone, sublet it, Airbnb, it probably still didn't make, it, 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 it didn't, still didn't make that much sense because we would end up spending less than half of the year in, in that city. So the, the place would be like empty or Airbnb out for like more than half the year. So it's like, if you're not going to spend most of your time in, uh, in, in like, um, in one city, it really, it really doesn't make sense to buy anything in that city. Okay, great. Awesome. Christy, when I was reading your book, I always wondered if your own parents, uh, yours and Bryce, actually own their own homes in Canada. And if they do, I was wondering if one of you stood to inherit the property, which make you homeowners, you know, in a roundabout manner. Yeah. Yeah. So don't tell my parents, but if I ever inherit their house, I'm selling that crap. Like it will make your head spin how they sell it. Yeah. But anyway, um, my parents actually do like both our parents definitely own houses. Part of the reason is because um, the previous generation, like the boomer generation to them um, is a different circumstance when they bought houses, right? Like when you bought a house back then, maybe it was mm, three to five times your annual salary. It was houses were actually very affordable. It was a very different economic um, situation back then. So for them, for them, it was a, it was a good decision. Uh, another thing that was in interesting, especially for my parents, is because they're immigrants. So to them, anything that you cannot touch, like if it's not tangible, if it's not like gold bars or like a house or something, they think it's not safe. They think it's not worth investing in. Um, what they don't realize is that um, investing in like China is not the same as investing in the S&P 500. <laughs> Very different story. But anyway, so but that that is their that is their choice. And that is that what they prefer, which is fine. Uh, what's interesting is that my mom actually doesn't like the suburb that she lives in in Canada. She finds it really cold in the wintertime and she just hates it. It's like really bad for her arthritis. So I'm actually trying to convince her to, to sell the house and move to Vancouver instead. So that is like a plan in, in progress. And we'll see how that goes. <laughs> Awesome. Okay. Right. So traveling is now an expensive affair, especially with cancellation of flights and rebooking uh, are a norm these days owing to the pandemic. So some people actually lose their money altogether, uh -huh. or if they want to book a new flight, it's about thousands and thousands of dollars. So, but um, in your book, right, you mentioned a lot about geographical arbitrage. So how does it work? You know, can that still work in today's uh, day and uh, age, uh, what? It, it, uh, yeah, you're right. Like probably like a year ago, uh, it was travel on extreme hard mode because, <clears throat> and, and we tried, we really tried to get to, to, to go out there, but what ended up happening was exactly what you just said. We would, uh, start booking things and then all of a sudden the country would shut down and cause case counts would like spike and like all this kind of stuff. There was also, there was always this, um, there was always this, uh, um, like issue with like, PCR tests and antigen tests that you had to do before the flight and like all the kind of stuff. It was really, really, really difficult. And uh, as a result, we do, we do, we do know some people that traveled during that time, but there was an element of gambling involved. Like, could they get onto the flight? Could they, would they actually be allowed to land? Like, would they be stuck in quarantine for two weeks? 
fortunately, as of right, as of maybe like um, two months ago or so, countries have really started to open back up again. And to the point where like we're in, um, so we started traveling in February of this year. And when we landed in Portugal, um, it was already like it, it was still in hard mode because when we landed there, they were like, oh, your 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 antigen test that you did uh, before you left, it's the wrong kind. So we had to redo it. And then we had to like go through this whole thing. But like every month after that, the um, countries have gradually kind of like started dropping restrictions and dropping restrictions. Before it was like you had to have a PCR test 72 hours before you left. And then now then it became like now you can make do with antigen tests. And now it's like you don't have to have a quarantine period. And then and now there's some countries like the next one we're going to actually doesn't even care about vaccination certificates anymore. They're like, ah, you know, like whatever. So it does seem like travel has come, has, has gone back to the way it was before. Um, it, I expect it to be a little bit more expensive because fuel prices are, are elevated right now because of the situation happening in Ukraine. But uh, for the most part, travel uh, has gone back to where it was before. And um not as expensive as I thought it would be. I think one of the things we're doing to mitigate <laughs> the rise in fuel prices for flights is using points. Because with points, it's not really, it did not make that much of a difference. Like even now, um, trying to book points to go home back to Toronto in the summertime. Uh, so I think one of the things we talk about in the book, in addition to geographic arbitrage, is how to do points hacking, like um, travel hacking, basically figuring out, signing up for credit cards and using points to travel instead of actually using dollars. That might help you. Um, going forward. Yeah, that's something that we did when we were trapped in Toronto because we were just we had nothing else to do. So I just signed up for every damn credit card mm -hmm. that I could that I could. And then I had like a stack this like you know this big. Yeah. And uh, yeah, so we accumulate a lot of points and then and then now they're coming to Yeah. Cool. And another tip for um, trying to keep the cost down. Um, so if Airbnbs get more expensive, another um, tool that we just recently discovered is uh, home exchange. So we're actually staying in a home exchange right now in uh, Croatia. Um, so what happens is like your rental or your home um, where your country is, you find someone who wants to like travel there and then you travel to their house and you basically house swap or like home swap. Mm. Um, and sometimes it doesn't have to be a direct home swap. Like, for example, the person we're swapping with, like they want to go to Paris, they don't want to go to Toronto. So they switch with somebody else who, who wants to um, go to Toronto. So it's like a three way kind of swap um, mm. of homes. So that's actually an interesting um, that's an interesting brand new kind of um, community that we discovered. And uh, as a part of this home exchange, people are really, really nice. Like they go out of their way to help you. They're like, oh, I'm going to introduce you to my neighbor who's going to help you like find a rental car. And then their neighbor's like, I can pick you up from the uh, uh, airport if you need my help. And like just people are very, very um, going out of their way to show you their city because they're very proud of it. So it's like a different it's a different way of traveling outside of Airbnb as well. So that's that's homeexchange.com. Awesome. So okay. Um, so what happens, Christy, when your finances? Uh, God forbid, if you decide you and Bryce decide to go on your separate ways, or if you decide you have children, like yeah, you know? I, I don't. Yeah, I, I don't actually think it changes anything because right now our portfolio has grown because um, we've been retired for pretty much seven years now. And our portfolio has grown to the point that even if knock on wood, like we need to go our separate ways, it's enough for each of us to live on individually. And if we have kids, it's actually not that expensive to have kids. I just think in North America, 
Uh, people just say it's like a lot of it is childcare is very, very expensive, right? But if you're financially independent, you don't need to work. So you don't need to pay for childcare. You take care of the child yourself. Um, and I, as a result of our travels, we met a lot of other communities like the world schooling community, which is actually another interesting thing because initially people were like, world schooling, like that's nuts. Why would you do that? That's too French, too weird for me. I don't get it. Just like the digital nomad people. But then as a result of the pandemic, people actually had to homeschool their kids anyway because they had no choice because schools were closed so that's actually like we actually have friends um that originally was very against the idea of homeschooling they were like that's interesting but i don't think i could ever do it but then they were forced to do it because they had to take their kids out of private school and they're like wait why am i paying all this money and they're not really learning anything and it, it, it's all remote anyway maybe i'm gonna try to do this homeschooling thing and they tried it and they really liked it and then now they like traveled to costa rica and started homeschooling and they're like oh this is actually very interesting so you know there's like many many different ways to raise kids and there's many different ways um that, like the expenses for raising kids varies depending on how you um, how you parent and where you live. So I, I, I don't think that's going to change anything really financially. Um, even if it costs a bit more money, I, I have already allocated enough for that. And I, I have um, like, basically I have backup plans for, for it if we actually decide to have kids. So I, I don't think it will change anything. Cool. So Bryce, uh, so Chrissy has written a post before about boredom. So some people, when they are fired, they tend to get bored because, you know, they don't have that nine to five thing to go anymore. So I just wanted to ask your advice, you know, if someone has fired, but wants to return back to full time employment. So there is like a big gap in the resume when they do that. So how do they tell the employer? Do they like tell the employer, um, are they going to be upfront? Is it a good idea for them to be upfront about their financial status? to tell the possible employer that I'm already rich, but I'm bored and I want a job or lie? Uh, no, you know, that's so. a, no, that's not a good thing to say in an interview. Uh, I, I think that um, if you are, so I do know some people that try this whole, like financial independence is great, but, and the retire early part <clears throat> is the stuff that's, uh, that is, it does get people excited and it is attractive, but yeah, you're right. Not everybody, um, some people really legitimately enjoy their jobs and some people, wouldn't know what to do with themselves if they were just stuck at home because <clears throat> you can only watch so much Netflix until you get until, until it does get boring. So I always encourage people to uh, think about uh, what identity that they want would want to have as outside of their work because you know the day will, is going to come when you're going to retire normally anyway, right? So you have to solve that problem. For us, we um, uh, for for us we wanted to uh, be writers, so that's and that's so as a result. We didn't really retire and then just sit around doing nothing. We retired into another, a new identity. And, and that's, you know, when we started the blog and the book and all this kind of stuff. But if you are, if people do retire and uh, and then decide that it's not for them, that's okay. And, they, and when going back to work, just say, I decided to take a six, six month or a gap year and that kind of thing, right? That's, that's actually pretty common, even in the tech industry for people to just kind of just take a break for uh, for, for some time and then and, and then realize, Okay, now I I taken a break and now I have all this energy that I want to devote back to my uh, to my new employer and uh, yeah but yeah don't brag about how much money you have in the interview that usually does not that usually does not go well yeah I just want to add another thing you can do uh, which we did a bit of after we quit was volunteering so we yeah. volunteered for this nonprofit and we were their tech directors so we did 
uh, like managing their email, setting up their, uh, developing an app for them, like doing, doing things like that. That's still related to the skills we already had as engineers. So that's a way to keep your skills up and also like do something good for the world now that you have all this time and you have money. Um, so that if you ever decide to go back, then your resume will not have a big gap. It will actually have all this experience. Like I work for a nonprofit. That's absolutely legitimate in terms of something to put on your resume. And then you are also helping the world in some way. So um, it doesn't have to be all or nothing. It doesn't have to be like, I'm just going to retire and do nothing. You can always work on other opportunities and then write that as part of your resume. Awesome. All right. And that is all the time that we have for today. We have just been speaking to Christy Shang and Bryce Leung, author of the book. I'm going to push it up again. I hope you see it. Uh, maybe not. <laughs> it's uh, a quit like a billionaire. It's available on Amazon. Uh, thank you, Christy and Bryce, for joining us today from Croatia. Thank, thank you, so you for having us. Thank you. So the pleasure is all ours. Be sure to join us next time as we aim to interview another awesome individual across the globe. Thank you.